Uh, if you have a Bible, if you could turn with me to the book of Ruth, uh, it will be, it's in your program, uh, but it's also will be on the screen as I read. Uh, but if you, if you have a Bible, open it up. I'm going to be looking, we're going to really walk through the book of Ruth uh, very briefly this morning. Uh, and so grab a pew Bible if there's one around you, and you can turn to page 222, because uh, Ruth, is, it's easy to miss. It's right after the book of Judges. We are studying, you might be thinking, how does Ruth have anything to do with Christmas? Uh, well, you can find the Christmas story everywhere in the Bible, uh, and it's in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is a Christmas story, of, uh, in a sense. Uh, we're looking at the four women of Christmas that we see in Jesus' genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. And during Advent. And last week we looked at Tamar. And this week we're going to look at Ruth. I want to encourage you. Um, I was amazed again uh, by the story of Ruth this week as I studied. Uh, and so I want to encourage you. We're not going to be able to, to read it all this morning. I'm going to read a small section. Uh, but I want to encourage you. It takes about 15 minutes. And read it this afternoon. Or read it sometime this week. And I think you'll find it. Amazing as well. So let me read God's word. This is Ruth chapter 1, verses 8 through 17. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house, and may the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them. And they lifted up their voices, and they wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I, say, if I should say I have hope... Even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, and this is perhaps the most famous and well-known words in the book of Ruth, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. From where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And may the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. So let's walk through this story of Ruth very briefly this morning, and I hope for us to make some application along the way as well. But the book of Ruth is really a story of two women. Naomi and Ruth, 
And these two women, God cares for very deeply and watches over them. And you might have picked up even on my reading, uh, but if you're familiar with the book of Ruth, on the surface it doesn't appear that way. On the surface, we could say just the opposite. On the surface, it looks like God has left them. It looks like God has forgotten them and that he is not caring for them. And so the driving question really of the, book, of the book of Ruth is this. In the face of suffering and pain, is God still good? In the face, that's the question of the book. In the face of suffering and pain, does God still care? Let me say it another way. Does God still care about me? Because, in a sense, the question of the book of Ruth, we could say, is a question of does God really care about one small, broken-hearted little woman that's widowed named Naomi? And some of you this morning, maybe you come into this room and you're asking a very similar question. Your life has turned out and it's nothing like you thought it would be. Your life could be described as a crushing of dreams. And maybe this morning you're thinking as you look at your life and reflect on your life, and you look at your circumstances, you feel like God has forgotten you. You feel like there is no hope for you. Maybe you're asking the question, does God still care about me? We see that's exactly where we find Naomi when we find her and in her story. Because you see, Naomi is like all of us. Naomi had dreams for her life. Naomi had the simple dream of a husband, children, and grandchildren. And this story is really a picture of the death of those dreams. Verse 1, if you're following along with me, chapter 1, we learn that there was a famine in Bethlehem. And so what do you do when there's a famine? Well, you got to eat. So you pick up your family and you move to where there's food. And that's what Naomi's family did. They leave and they go from Judah, they go to Moab. And when they arrive in Moab, shortly thereafter, her husband Elimelech dies leaving her with her two sons. And Naomi's two sons marry, because they're in Moab, they marry Moabite women named Orpah and Ruth. Ten years later, Naomi buries her two sons. Let's think about that for a second. In the span of ten years, which is not very long, she buries her husband and her two children. Her only two children. And I don't know about you, but that would be my biggest nightmare. And so Naomi, we find her, not only is she grieving deeply and surrounded by grief, she has also lost all means of economic income and support. Let's say it another way. She has lost her life. She has literally entered into a living death we could say. The famine's over. She gets word that they can return back to Judah. And so Naomi returns back to Judah. 
But Naomi knows something. I can't return back to Judah with these two daughters-in-law. I love them too deeply. I want them to have a life. I want them to have a future. They would have no future being Moabites in Judah. She knows that they would be ridiculed. They're outsiders. They're foreigners. They would be marginalized. They would even be in great danger. How do we know that? Later, we see that Boaz tells Ruth, whatever you do, don't leave this field. You leave this field outside of my care, you are in danger. That is the implication there. And so Naomi begs Orpah and Ruth, I love you. Please go home to your families. Please go home and start over. I want you to have a life. And you see that Orpah takes her up on the the offer. And she kisses Naomi and she goes back home to her family. But notice the passage said, Ruth, what does Ruth do? She clings to Naomi and then speaks perhaps, again, the most well-known verses in the book of Ruth, 16 and 17. Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. So she's clinging to Naomi and they go back to Judah in Bethlehem. And when they they arrive, if you look at the passage, the whole town is stirred because of them. But look at verse 19. Is this Naomi? And the thrust of it is, Naomi, is that you? Do you see what, what, what that tells you? And you've experienced this if you've have been around people who have grieved very deeply. It tells us that her grief and her pain and her loss has taken such a toll on her physically and emotionally and spiritually that she's barely recognizable. Naomi, is is that you? And we know that's the feel because look at verse 20. Don't call me Naomi. If you have your Bible open, you'll see a footnote that takes you to the bottom of the page telling you that Naomi means pleasant. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. The footnote also takes you to the bottom of the page telling you that Mara means bitter. Don't call me pleasant anymore, please. Call me bitter. Then look at verse 21. Perhaps the most raw in honest words, in all of Scripture. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified? The Lord has gone out against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity, calamity upon me. You ever feel that way? Perhaps you feel that way this morning. You see, when God doesn't meet our expectations and when life doesn't go our way and when our dreams get shattered before our very eyes, it opens the door, of course, to despair and cynicism and it opens the door to a shutting down of our hearts before God. We could make 20 applications already in the book of Ruth. I'm just going to simply make one for the sake of time. And the application is this. You can be honest before God. You can be honest with God. Did you notice that Naomi doesn't do the southern thing? 
How are you doing? Oh, I'm great. How are you? No, Naomi doesn't fake it. And Naomi doesn't put a smile on her face and say, I'm good. It's all good. No, she tells us exactly where she is and exactly how she feels about God. You talk to God this way? Naomi, it's in the Bible, and I love that this is in the Bible. And here's the thing. Naomi has not lost faith. She's not lost faith in God. How do we know? Well, look at the passage. You see the covenant names for God used. The word Lord in all caps in your Bible. And you see she uses the term Almighty. She's not doubting God's existence. She's not doubting God's power. She still believes, but boy, has she lost confidence in the goodness of God towards her. And so she laments. And it sounds an awful lot like the Psalms, doesn't it? It sounds like a, a lot like someone who has a real and vibrant and thriving relationship with God. Do you talk to God this way? Do you have this kind of relationship with God? Are you able to be honest with Naomi about where you are and what you're going through? Or do you feel like you've got to have it all together and do the southern thing and say it just right and always be smiling with a good attitude and full of joy because you think that's what it means to be a good Christian? I love that this is in the Bible because it's incredibly refreshing, particularly for us who live in the south. Flip side of the question, though, is do you give space for people to lament around you? You know what I mean by that? Do people feel like they always got to be full of joy when they're around you and have to be okay? Do you find yourself always saying, I do because I'm an optimist, and I've had to repent of this this week to my wife? Cheer up. It's not that bad. Where's your joy? You find yourself saying those types of things? Do people have the space to not be okay around you? Do they have the space to lament? Let's keep moving. Verse uh, chapter 2. The story continues and Ruth, she's going to support her mother-in-law. And so she goes to work and she starts gleaning the fields. And gleaning was simply a way, when the harvest was taken, um, there was some left over and for the fields to be gleaned. That was part of an Old Testament law to provide for the poor. And so the leftover from the harvest would be left for people like Ruth and other people who could not provide for themselves. And they would come and glean the harvest. And if you look at chapter 2, verse 3, I love this. The narrator says, and it just so happens that she is working in the field and meets a kind man by the name of Boaz. She returns home and she has all of this food for Naomi and for them to eat. Naomi, the natural question is, where did you get all the food? And she said, oh yeah, I was working and I ran into a man by the name of Boaz. He was very kind. Ruth says, did you say Boaz? I know him. He's one of our relatives. He's our kinsman. And this is the turning point in the book of Ruth for Naomi. We start to see a glimmer of hope. 
in Naomi. We start to see that maybe she starts to think, maybe God has not left me. Maybe God has not abandoned me. Maybe God really is still good to me. You see, she starts to realize that in God's goodness and kind providence, that it just so happens that out of all the fields she could have been working in, and out of all the people that she could have met, she meets the one person in the world who can actually help them. What do I mean by that? Well, Boaz was what is known as a kinsman redeemer. That was an inside term for another Israelite law. You see, when you came to Israel and they moved into the promised land, a family would have received a plot of land. But you lost that land when you decided to move outside of Israel to Moab for the famine. That's what happened with Naomi and her family. They lost that land. And the only way to get that back, there was a provision in the law to get it back. You could buy it back or redeem it, but you had to do it through a kinsman, kinsman redeemer, who would buy back the land for you. And so Naomi says, this is it. (laughs) This is our ticket, and I'm going to make this happen. And so she comes up with this plan, and she sends Ruth to Boaz, and what essentially happens In chapter 3 is she essentially proposes, think about this for uh, breaking tradition and something really radical, particularly back then. Ruth proposes to Boaz. That's what she's doing. She's appealing to him as a family member to do something that he was not obligated to do. And so the rest of the book into chapter 4, Boaz starts working out the legal aspects of this, and he accepts Ruth's proposal. And Ruth and Boaz have a child, a son named Obed. And the story, think about how amazing this is, the story ends with Obed lying in his grandmother Naomi's lap. That's how the book ends. It begins with bitterness And with Naomi surrounded by death, with no hope, and with no future, and now she has land back, and she is rocking her grandson Obed in her lap. Her grandson, who would eventually become, is the great-grandfather of perhaps the greatest king in Israel's history, King David. Is that not an amazing story? Maybe you're hopeless this morning. This story is an encouragement for you this morning to not let go of the rope. Don't give up. God, this story, and we see it everywhere, God is at work in the details of your life. Even when you can't see it, God is working out His good purposes in the world and in your life. And so that's it. Endure through suffering like Naomi, be a great and loyal and loving friend like Ruth, and be kind like Boaz. Go have at it. That's the book of Ruth. Let's pray and go home. (laughs) I'm glad you're laughing because hopefully you know me better than that. That's moralism. That's not the gospel. That's not Christianity. That's not the purpose of Ruth being in the genealogy of Jesus. The moral of this story is not go be like Ruth and Naomi. 
Now, do they have great character traits? Oh, absolutely. We see some great people here. Some very loyal and loving people. And there are things that we should emulate, of course. But if you start there and you stop there, your heart will never be changed and you will never get what you're after as far as change in your life. Why? Because the gospel is what changes you. Hopefully you've heard me say this so you're blue in the face. Willpower does not change you. How do we see the gospel here? Well, think about the story. Ruth looked at Naomi, and she says, basically, I will give my life for your life. I will die to my dream so that you can have your dream. That's what she does. And she doesn't return uh, to her father's house. And instead, Ruth goes to a far-off country at great personal cost to herself. A place where she was marginalized and ridiculed and an outsider. And she gives birth to a child in Bethlehem. Does any of that sound familiar? I told you the Christmas story was in the book of Ruth. It's interesting because the book of Ruth, if you look at the end, it ends with its own genealogy. And it says, Obed father Jesse... And Jesse fathered David, and then we get to the first line in the book of Matthew, and it's like Matthew has been sitting on this line forever. And it begins, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the father of David. What's the point of the book of Ruth? Jesus is the point of the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is pointing us to a baby boy, another baby boy, born in Bethlehem. 1,100 years later, a baby boy who also left the comfort of his father's house at great personal cost to himself, who went into the far country of this earth and became the kinsman redeemer for the world. Jesus came into the world in order to buy us back and rescue us from the darkness to rescue us from our sin. And like Naomi, he came to give us life and a future when we had none. That's the Christmas story. And friends, when that story, what Jesus has done for you, and what he does for you through his spirit, when that gets inside you and melts your heart, then your life will begin to overflow with the things that you like and see in this passage. Things like kindness and sacrifice and love. But those things come as a result of gospel work inside your soul. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful story. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to come and to be the ultimate kinsman redeemer. Would you forgive us this morning for the ways that we miss, the ways you're at work, for the ways we miss your goodness? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be especially near this morning to those here that feel bitter and hopeless like Naomi. I pray that you would give them strength that you would help them through your spirit to persevere and to hold on. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.